I like vacations. This is the kind of season for vacations. People are taking vacations. You know what a lot of our vacations, a lot of our trips are about? They're about glory. You know, why, why don't we go out to the Rocky Mountains or why don't we go see the Grand Canyon or why don't we go to see Niagara Falls? It's because we want to see glory. We want to stand next to something big and mighty and wonderful. Why don't you go even places like New York City or Paris or San Francisco and you go up to the top of the Empire State Building and you look across the skyline of what it looks like for humanity to have dominion over the creation. Or you go and see the Eiffel Tower, you go and see the Golden Gate Bridge. You're going to be next to something, to see something wonderful, to see something that God created that has something of his glory. Now then, what would it be like to see the glory of the one who is uncreated? The one who has being and life in himself. He is the dispenser of life. He has, no, he has no source of life himself, but he is the source of all life. What would it be like to see not what God has made, not what God has created, but to see God himself, to see the glory of God? Everything else would be so much less glorious than God. Well, I want you to see the glory of God. And what I hope that you will see is the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in seeing it, we will be transformed by it. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. And today's sermon is about glory. And the first thing that we will see is, uh, what we'll see first is a superior glory. A superior glory. 2 Corinthians 3, we're going to start in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, we'll read through verse 13. Follow along in, in your Bible. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. And we're going to just read the last line, uh, the last sentence of verse 6. It says, for this letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And then pick it up in verse 7. It says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what's once, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will be will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were, were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, they, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. We picked up in verse 6, and that's where we ended uh, last week talking about this idea of the spirit and the letter. The letter that Paul is talking about, the letter that kills, is the law. The law in its condemning capacity. That is, the, God gave the law. The law reveals God's demands or God's commands or God's standards, his moral standards, uh, by which we are all judged and we all fail. 
to, to live up to those standards. And so we are condemned by them. The Spirit, on the other hand, gives life. Well, verses 7 through 18 really expand on what Paul means by all that. And so we pick up in verse, in verse 7, he talks about a ministry of death. The ministry of death is the ministry of, that came on letters of stone. It came with such great glory. I mean, think about it. This is the, this is the ministry of the law or the letter, or the, the covenant made with Moses at Mount Sinai, sometimes called the Sinai Covenant, sometimes called the Mosaic Covenant. This is where God took his commands and he wrote them with his own finger. How, how much more glorious can you get than that? God is, God is appearing, making himself, uh, making himself appear or be revealed in, in a, a cloud of smoke on the mountain with, with lightning and rumblings and earthquakes and, and fire. And here he is writing with his own finger, so to speak, the commandments on tablets of stone. That's glorious. Sinai was glorious. But if that was glorious... How much more will the ministry of spirit have even more glory? The reason why it's more glorious, there are three reasons why it's more glorious. This is the first one. Why is it more glorious? The ministry, the ministry of the law brought death. How did it bring death? Well, the background of everything that Paul is talking about here is Exodus 32 through 34. This is the story of God's people Israel bowing down to golden calves. These golden calves are the ones that they worshipped as the, as the gods who brought them out of Egypt. I mean, think about it this way. Moses is up on the mountain receiving the glorious tablets of stone written on with the finger of God. And down below, the people of God, Israel, are having a great idolatrous party bowing down to golden calves. And so when... Moses comes down. He has these tablets of stone that he throws down and they are broken, symbolizing the breaking of the covenant. The covenant was, keep these commands and I will bless you. Keep these commands and you will live. And while Moses is in the process of receiving these commands, they are already breaking them. From the very beginning, it was shown that Israel was incapable of keeping God's commands. That's the, that's the way in which it brought death. From the very beginning, they, they could not obey God's commands, and so they were in the process of, of dying, being killed, so to speak, by these commandments. In the same way, each one of us is held up to God's moral standard, up to God's law, and all of us fall short of it. All of us fail to keep God's commands. And so all of us, by God's law, we are condemned to death. What, is the, what does the ministry of the Spirit do? The ministry of the Spirit gives life. See, the law gave God's commands, but it did not give the desire or the ability to keep those commands. The Spirit still maintains God's moral standards, but the Spirit gives life to desire and the ability to obey those, God, those commands. That's the promise of the new covenant. Not like the old covenant, which could only condemn, not like the law, which could only kill, the Spirit gives life. Now then, uh, if we look at, the, look at verses 9 and 10, we see the second reason why there is this superior glory of the ministry of the Spirit. 
He says, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. The idea of the ministry of condemnation, kind of already implied in the idea of the ministry of death. The law brings death. It brings death because it brings condemnation. Each one of us, when we are held up to the standard of God's law, we are condemned. None of us can stand before it. And, and this is even a, a picture brought, brought from, the, from the end of time, brought back in time. You know, every one of us, when we stand before God on the last day, we will either stand before God uh, on the basis of the law or we will stand by faith in Jesus Christ. If we are trying to stand based on our obedience to the law, then we will be condemned. But Paul says the ministry of the Spirit brings is a ministry of righteousness. That is, we were condemned by the law, but the ministry of the Spirit is to, is to make it so that we would be credited with righteousness. That God would declare us to be in the right and therefore to be able to have life. So think about what God has done for us. God sent his son to take on human form. Take on our humanity so that he might die in our place. While he, was, while he was in the form of a human being, even as he is now eternally united with us, God granted his very own spirit to descend on him. Jesus Christ is the original spirit-filled man. He is the one who has given the spirit without limit, without measure. And so God said on that day, on the day that the, the Spirit was, was seen to descend on him, said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then the power of God's Spirit, Jesus Christ went, in, went out into the, the desert and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and then withstood the temptations of Satan. He came and went into Satan's, what we would think of as his territory, and he bound and plundered Satan. Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit perfectly obeyed God's commands, never failing to do what was ultimately loving toward God and his neighbor. And then Jesus Christ went and died on the cross in the place of sinners like us. And it was by the power of the Spirit that he was raised from the dead. Since he was righteous, since he was innocent, since he was perfectly obedient to God, he could not be held by death, and so he was raised from the dead by the Spirit. Then on Pentecost, the ascended Christ poured out the Spirit. Jesus Christ even said that he would send another, one who was like him, the Spirit. And on Pentecost, he poured out the Spirit. And even now, we are living within the inaugurated age and ministry of the Spirit, where the Spirit is even now calling people to faith in Jesus Christ, whereby they are counted as righteous before God. So you see what the Spirit does? The, this is the ministry of the Spirit. This is what Jesus Christ does. This is the good news. This is the new covenant. This is the gospel of forgiveness of sins and new life by the Spirit of God. He causes us to stand before God righteous in Jesus Christ. So again, there is this kind of thing happening at the end, the day of judgment, the very last day, the day, uh, the day of, of Christ. When he comes back, and as he is the one who has been ordained as, as the judge by God himself, he returns. And each one of us is either measured by our obedience to the law, 
by which we are condemned. Or we have faith in Jesus Christ and are declared righteous. Think about how glorious it is to see God's commands written. To have God's character revealed in the law. And yet, how much more glorious is it to stand before God declared right in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? For every one of us who puts our faith in Jesus Christ, we stand before God declared righteous. We have life and righteousness by the Spirit. We have death and condemnation because of our disobedience to the law. The law is perfect and good and glorious, but we are not. We as corrupt, sinful, disobedient, rebellious people have failed to keep the law. And yet in faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, we stand in Christ with righteousness and life by the Spirit. How much more glorious is it to be in the ministry of the Spirit than it is to live by the law? As glorious as the giving of the law was, we have something better. He even says, he even says there in verse 10, he says, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. You ever kind of, sometimes when I'm trying to go to sleep and, and there's some kind of technological device on in our room, you know, iPhone, iPad, something like that. That, that, that light seems so bright. So I'm a little picky about my sleep. I, I like to have it dark, okay? So bright. But then you go outside in the sun and you try and read your phone and you try and look at your digital watch. Can't see it. Because there's something so much, so much brighter, so much more glorious. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying about, about the ministry of the Spirit is so much more glorious that it, it causes the, the glory of the law, the glory of the old covenant to pale by comparison. And while we're on that, that idea, if you look at verse 8, he says, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 7. At the end of verse 7, he, said, he talks about this, this ministry of glory that was there in Moses' face. It was being brought to an end. Uh, I'll probably paraphrase that or, or translate that loosely as it was planned for obsolescence. Because they have a kind of a ready-made illustration of what the law was like. You know, most of us, uh, we live in, a, in an age of planned obsolescence. So you take, for instance, your, your smartphone. Uh, back in 2007, the first iPhone came out. People stood in line for hours, even days hoping to get to buy the iPhone in 2007, less than 10 years ago. They were going to pay $600 for an iPhone. Anybody here with the original iPhone? Like you're still using it? You're still not, not using it? You're probably, you're probably not still using it. You're probably not using the next generation or the generation after that. Some of you might have a 4, some of you might have a 5, some of you might have a 6 or a 6 plus. You know what? Those are, those are going to be obsolete very, very soon. From the very beginning, God's intention was not to give life to the law. The law did not have the ability to give human beings life. It was planned for obsolescence. It was planned to come to an end with the coming of Jesus Christ, the one who gives the spirit. It was there. What was the law for? It was there to show us our need for Christ, our need for a Messiah, our need for a king who would come and live a perfectly obedient life in our place and then die in our place. It demonstrated to all of us 
that we were unable to obey God's commands, unable to achieve life of our own doing. We had to rely on somebody else. But the law was planned for obsolescence all along. As a, as a covenant by which anyone would say, I obey, therefore I live, or do this and live, it's gone. It's obsolete. Instead, there is only one way of salvation, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Even when we think of the faithful saints of the Old Testament, how was it that they were saved? Hebrews 11 doesn't say that it was by their obedience to the law covenant. Faithful saints like Abraham and Moses and David were saved by their faith in the promises, the promise of one, the promise of the offspring who would come and take away their sin. So we see at least two reasons so far. The last reason is in verse 11. It says, for if what was being brought to an end or what was already planned for obsolescence came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The old covenant was planned for obsolescence from the beginning. The spirit, the ministry of the spirit, the life that the spirit gives, the righteousness that the spirit gives, it endures. It endures into eternity. How do we, how do we have eternal life? It's because the Spirit is going to give us life forever. There will be no end to the righteousness that the Spirit gives or the life that the Spirit gives. It is something that is permanent. How great is the glory that we have through the Spirit, through the ministry of the new covenant, to know God, to know His glory. Now then, verses 12 and 13 are... That is the conclusion that Paul makes from these three reasons. Okay, so, so the ministry of the Spirit is superior to the law because it gives life, it gives righteousness, and it's permanent. So if that's the case, what's our conclusion? Verse 12, he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. There, Paul is talking about the, he's using that we uh, that's the apostolic we. He's talking about those who are ministers of this new covenant. He's talking about those who are, who are apostles. They are, in comparison with Moses. I mean, you think about Moses. Moses had, Moses had the glory of God shining out of his face. That's part of that story from, from Exodus 32. He, he goes back up on the mountain. He gets, he gets the, the tablets written down again. He intervenes for the people so that God doesn't kill them. God doesn't destroy them. Instead, God remains with them. He intercedes for them or he mediates for them. He goes back. When he goes into the presence of God and he comes back, his face is shining with the glory of God. Moses glorious because he's sharing in the glory of God, but, but Paul does not look glorious. In fact, that's one of the things that, that they said about Paul. Paul, uh, how can you be so bold? How can you talk to us the way that you do? How can you declare this, this gospel with such zeal and such assurance and such confidence? It's because what we are declaring is superior to what came before. Paul, the apostle, was inglorious, unimpressive, not, not in any way what we would think of as, as somebody who was immediately charismatic, not somebody that people looked to and thought, wow, there's a, there's a good-looking guy who really knows his stuff and really speaks really well. I should, should listen to that guy. 
not, not the way it was. And, and if Paul was not glorious, we're not glorious. We're not glorious. We're, we're, I'm, not a, I'm not glorious. Our church is not glorious. We're, we're, pretty, we're pretty inglorious. We're pretty plain. Pretty plain. But the covenant, the gospel, the good news, the ministry of the spirit that we proclaim, it's glorious. And that is the point. So what can we do but proclaim it? We're not proclaiming it because we're glorious. Nobody's listening to us because we are glorious. It's not because our church is glorious. It's not because our preachers are glorious. It's not because any one of us individually is glorious. It is because the good news that the Spirit brings is glorious. We're not like Moses. He says at the end of verse 13, he says, we're not like Moses. He goes, you know what he has to do? He has to, he has to veil his face when he comes back down. So he's got this great shining face, and he has to, he has to cover it. One of, the, one of the things that is sometimes puzzling to people about, about this passage is, why, is, why does he need to cover that? But think about it this way. If you, if you are a sinner, like the Israelites demonstrated themselves to be sinners, what's the glory, to God, glory of God to you? The glory of God is frightening. To, to come into the presence of the glory of God as a sinner condemned by the law is frightening. It is horrific. And so the people said, like, you know, we're not, we're not going to come talk to you. We're not going to come listen to you unless you put something on your face. That was the, the outcome that is being spoken about there. The outcome of the revelation of the glory of God to sinners is death, is condemnation. We don't have to be like that. We don't have to be like that because we are proclaiming a, a glorious gospel that gives life and righteousness. And so we declare it boldly. How we should declare it boldly, not because we are glorious, not because we are, not because we are impressive, None of you are impressive. I am not pretending to be impressive. We are a gathering of very unimpressive, inglorious people. I want to make that clear. I know that some of you think that you are glorious. You are not glorious. Do not pretend to be glorious. We are not glorious people. But we are a people who, through faith in Jesus Christ, are saved by a glorious gospel, by a spirit whose, whose ministry far surpasses everything that came before. And so we, we make it boldly known of the righteousness in life that comes through the Spirit. That's the superior glory. That's the superior glory that Paul made known. And as much as we hold to the apostolic gospel, that is the glory that we make known to others. Now, we've been talking about glory, and we've seen this superior glory. Next, we see a revealed glory. Pick up in verse 14, a revealed glory. He's talking about the Israelites here. He says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit. And when the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Why is it that the outcome for the Israelites would be death? It was because they were hard-hearted. They had stubborn hearts. Uh, figuratively speaking, the, the veil that, was, that veiled the glory of God as it was shared with Moses and through Moses, still that same veil to the glory of God is still there. They're still reading the Old Covenant. They're seeing the glory of the Old Covenant, but they are not seeing the glory of what the law and the prophets bore witness to, that there would come one after that there would come one in the future, that there would come one who would fulfill the demands of the law, that there would be an offspring who would bring in the promises made to Abraham. That's Jesus Christ. They, didn't, they don't see any of those things. They still don't see the glory of God. And if we reflect even on what was said in chapter 2, you know, he talks about the, the aroma of Christ that he makes known everywhere. Some are, some are receiving it. To them, the gospel is life. Others are rejecting it and perishing. To them, it is death. How is that possible? It's because they still have the veil. They just don't see the glory. They don't see the glory of the gospel of Christ. They don't see the glory of God. When they hear the gospel, they see an inglorious, unimpressive messenger. They hear uh, a good news that is about a crucified Savior. How is that glorious? They don't see the glory in that. They don't see the glory of God. So, it, so the veil remains unlifted. He says, because only through Christ is it taken away. What's the only way that we could come into the glory of God? What is the only way that we could behold the glory of God? It is only through Christ. The, the outcome of a sinner in the presence of the, the glory of God is that you would be consumed. The outcome of one who is in Christ, righteous through faith in Christ, is you get to see the glory of God. You get to see it. It's only through Christ. It's only through Christ because Jesus is the only righteous one. He is the only obedient one. And so we see the glory of God through him. He says basically the same idea in verses 15 through 17, except this time it is with an emphasis on the ministry of the Spirit. He says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So he says over and over again, there is, there is this veil. They can't see it. But when one turns to the Lord, and he's actually making a, a loose, a, a, a sort of a free quotation from Exodus 34, 34. That's where it talks about how, how Moses would, would turn or he would enter in to see the glory of God. Well, Paul is saying whenever anybody would turn to the Lord. And that, that idea of turning is the idea of repentance turning away from sin, turning away from idolatry, turning away from uh, any sense of, of self-righteousness, of, of uh, attempts to earn salvation of your own ability through obedience to the law. You turn from that. You get away from that. You turn away from that. And you trust in Christ. Now, whenever anybody turns, the veil is removed. When you turn to the Lord, 
you get to see the glory of the Lord. And that's the best gift of the gospel, is the glory of God. That's the best gift. There are many, there are many glorious gifts that we receive through Jesus Christ. There are many glorious uh, gifts that we receive from God as creator and from God as redeemer. We receive them both now and receive them in ever increasing quantities and qualities ever into the future forever and ever and ever. Gift after gift after gift of a life-giving God. But the very best gift of the gospel is to be in the presence of the glory of God. All of the other glories that we have, that we have felt while we have played in the ocean, while we have played sports, while we have stood on a mountain, while we have seen animals up close in person, while we have seen all of these glorious things, we have seen the things that man has made, we've seen the big waterfalls, we've seen the big mountains, we've seen the big rivers, all of the glories that we have seen, the very best glory, the greatest glory, the best gift of the gospel is to be in the glory of God, to see it. You see that. For you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You see that through Christ. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You see that by the Spirit. He says there, it is that the Lord is the Spirit. That turning to the Lord. The Spirit is the one who is causing that. The, one, the Spirit is the, the one who is bringing that. It says where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. There is freedom from condemnation. Praise be to God. But much more, there is freedom to see the glory of God. We get to see the glory of God by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God makes that happen. When you reflect, when you reflect again on, on why is it that, that there is this declaration and proclamation of the gospel, why is it that I believe? Why is it that, 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 I, that God awakens my spiritual senses? That I get to see, I get to hear, I get to smell the gospel. Smell it as good. Because of the work of the Spirit. The Spirit grants freedom to us. Freedom to see the glory of God. And focus in and concentrate with me on verse 18. It says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, you notice in verse 18, I've talked a little bit as we've gone through the, the book of Second Corinthians about the apostolic we. That is, when, when Paul uses the word we a lot in Second Corinthians, he's especially talking about the we as in the apostles who are the eyewitnesses and the bearers of the message of Jesus Christ and the, the ones uh, as, they, as they bear the message of Jesus Christ, they become the foundation of the church. What does verse 18 say? It says, and we all. It's because he's not talking about the apostolic we anymore. He's talking about the Christian we. He's talking about the church we. He's talking about everybody who believes in Jesus Christ we. We all, we all who believe in Jesus Christ have the veil taken away so that we see the glory of God. That idea of beholding the glory of the Lord, that's, that, that, 
means like like you like you see yourself in a mirror and you you look at yourself and you some of you did it more than others this morning you 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 looked you contemplated you 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 looked at what you looked like we see the glory of god in the gospel of jesus christ second corinthians 4 4 he talks about the the glory the gospel of the glory of christ as we contemplate it as we think about it as we meditate on it as we ponder it as we as we consider the gospel of jesus christ look at what he says we are being transformed into the same image that is the image of the one that we are beholding the image of the one that we are looking at in the gospel when we are looking at the glory of Christ in the gospel, we are being transformed into that very same image. We're being made like Jesus Christ. Whenever you think about Jesus, you're being made like Jesus. Whenever you're meditating on Jesus, you're being made like Jesus. Whenever you're contemplating, pondering, any other words that I can, I can think of or think real hard about Jesus, you're being made like Jesus. You're being transformed. And he says, from one degree of glory to another. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says about, about us, the way that we are naturally made, we bore the image of Adam. That is, the first man. We, we bore his image. We, we were uh, subject to death. We were corrupt. We were rebellious. We were disobedient, just like Adam was. We were headed toward death, just like Adam. But as we bore the image of Adam much more will we bear the image of the man who is from heaven. That is, Jesus Christ who came down. That is, we are going to be glorified like him. The way that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the way that Jesus Christ was, was made to, to live, he lives forever. We will be made like him, to live forever with him. That's called, in different places, glorification. We're going to be glorified with Jesus Christ. Now consider that in light of what Paul is saying right here. As you are moving toward glory, as you are moving toward the day that you are going to be resurrected from the dead, that you are going to be raised to live eternally with Jesus Christ, as you think about Jesus, then you are being changed from one degree of glory to another. You are being, being brought closer and closer and closer and closer to who you will be when Jesus Christ returns. Now you are now you are seeing Jesus with your ears by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and as you you think about him you are gradually being changed from from uh, a you you were less glorious the last time you thought about Jesus and now that you have thought about Jesus some more you are being changed from one degree of glory to another we could think about it in a in a strange way of speaking they wouldn't speak all the, this way all the time and it could be misunderstood but we are we are progressively being glorified you know we talk about progressive sanctification when we talk about progress being changed we are we are moving from one degree of glory to another some of you are excessively despairing of your own lack of glory you're you're not as much like Jesus as you would like to be. And when you look at the church, you see a church full of people who are not as much like Jesus as you 
wish they were and hope they will be. And, but I want you to know something for a certainty. You who are in Jesus Christ, you are being transformed into his image. That's a certainty. That, that's, not, that's not a possibility. That's not a probability. That is a, a certainty that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be changed into the image of Jesus, Jesus Christ. You'll be changed a little bit every time you think about Jesus. And you'll be changed ultimately on the day of Jesus' return. But you will be changed into Jesus Christ. So you think about how, how difficult it is. I mean, obedience is hard. Transformation is slow for everybody. You are being changed. Sometimes in our church we talk about the sovereignty of God. That is God's free ability to use his power to do whatever he wants. You know, the Spirit is himself God. And the Spirit is sovereign. The, the Spirit is free to do whatever he pleases with his limitless power. And do you know what the Spirit has determined he has determined to use his limitless power to make you like jesus christ he didn't the, the spirit did not say oh well you have a you have a dead heart of stone i don't think i can work with this person no he changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh you had a you had a you had a heart like the israelites that was hard. The spirit didn't come up to your heart and say, I, this is just somebody I can't work with this person. You know, kind of like a spoiled actor or something like that. I just, I can't work here. He, he used his limitless power to overwhelm your sinful resistance. To bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and do you think that even now you have sins that cannot be overcome? Is, is the Spirit saying to all of those who are in Jesus Christ, you know, this, is, this sin is just too deeply rooted. It's never going to come out. We just got to, it's like the stump in the field, we just got to mow around it. The Spirit is not saying that. The, the, the limitless power of the Spirit is dedicated, committed to changing you to make you like Jesus Christ. Don't stop believing that. Now, it's not effortless, but it is a certainty that the Spirit will change you. The Spirit will change every single one of you who believe in Jesus Christ to be like Jesus Christ. The sovereign spirit is unstoppable. And we see there at the end of verse 18, this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The spirit does it. We think about how much we owe God for our salvation, how much we owe to the father. I think I think one of the things that you can think about this afternoon is the is the the convergence and the uh, the mutual uh, operations of all of the the persons of the trinity for your salvation 
So the Father sends the Son. The Father gives the Spirit to the Son to give to as many people as He wishes. And the Son dies on the cross to accomplish your salvation. The Son gives the Spirit. The Spirit then comes to each and every one of you who believe in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit takes everything that the Father had planned and everything that the Son accomplished. And He takes it and He takes the veil away. And He makes you see the glory of God through Jesus Christ. It is the conspiracy of God to make sure that you, you are saved and you are made like Jesus Christ. And so let us put our hope in that. Our hope is that the Spirit is going to make us like Jesus Christ. And even ultimately to make us like Jesus Christ at his return. So this is the glory that we get to see. This is the glory that we have through Christ. This is the glory that we have by the Spirit. What can we do but praise God all the more for every spiritual blessing that he has given us? Because it is all from God. Let's pray to him now. Father, uh, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We come to you uh, by the power of the Spirit who aids us in prayer. And we ask that you would make us see. You would make us see your glory. God, we want to see your glory. More than all the gifts, more than all the good things that you give to us, more than all the glorious things that you have created or or that, that mankind has made by their dominion over your creation. More than all the glories that any human eye could see, we want to see your glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for those who who do not see who do not sense, who do not smell, who do not hear. They do not hear how good and glorious the gospel of Jesus is. But we ask that that since you are all-powerful, that you would work by our witness, that you would make us bold witnesses, and that you would use our witness to bring more and more people to see the glory of God. We, we have seen it in Jesus Christ, and what we want to do is bring more and more people to see it. God, please help us to do that. Please grant that we would, would be bold bearers of the gospel and of the glory of Jesus Christ. Make us see. Make us see always. Help us to behold it and see it always. And God, please make us like Jesus Christ. As much as we can possibly be like Jesus Christ in this life, please make us like Jesus Christ. And make us like Jesus Christ at the end. As much as it is possible, God, we know that there will always be remaining sin. But God, help us to do away with as much as we possibly can. As much as is is possible by the power of the Spirit to, to be done with this flesh, with this sin. Make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.